Well, good morning again, church. Uh, like I said, we're so glad that you are with us. I want to take this moment just to welcome those that are with us online. We're so glad you're able to be a part of things as well on a weekly basis. We've got uh, somewhere around 100 homes that are worshiping with us online on a weekly basis. It's just co- so cool to see that take place. Um, before I dive into our message this morning, uh, just a quick thing I want to mention. I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and it's super si- exciting around here, is that uh, we're about to embark on a season of renovation at our church. We're going to be doing, somebody's excited about that. We're going to do some, uh, the entire lobby and the cafe are going to be getting renovated around here. Uh, we are blessed with great facilities, uh, but it's one of those things where it's not been a place that's real comfortable and inviting for those who walk in, as well as there has not been a lot of spaces for people to really even connect with furniture and things like that in, within our body. And so we're looking to do a kind of a transformation of our lobby, give a fresh look to everything in our cafe. We're looking to even glass off part, part of the cafe, so that can be a space that gets used more regularly around here as, in our body, and uh, as well as just, again, being a, a welcoming place. And so we're so excited about those changes, and we're inviting those of you who might be interested to be a part of the journey. You know, you know how it is in your own house when you do projects? Sometimes you pay other professionals to do it, but whenever you can do the work, that saves money. Can I get an amen? Okay. All right. So there are some things that we don't know how to do. Okay. We get that. We're going to hire the professionals for that stuff, but there are some things that we can do. And uh, we've got a lot of demolition that's got to take place. How many like to knock things over with a, you know, a sledgehammer? We're going to do some of that kind of stuff. We got to rip up old carpets that stanky. Somebody sent me this old, this video and it was most disgusting video over. And they're like, I think this is what it's going to look like when we rip up the carpet. And they, it was a video and they ripped the carpet up and there was like maggots under the carpet. I'm like, I'm like, dear Jesus, let that not be what is underneath of our carpet. But we're going to rip all the stuff out. Sorry, we didn't need that this morning. But we're going to rip out all the old stuff, and we're going to make the place look fresh. It's going to be great. And so if, uh, here's the deal. If you have some skill, we could use your help. If you have the ability to just hit something with a sledge, we could use your help, okay? And so I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Today, immediately following service, both this service and the next service, in the cafe, we've got Adam Brett, who's leading our team. Uh, He's going to have a quick 10-minute meeting where you just hear what are the opportunities, what are the things that you can be involved in, and, and join in on this. If you would be willing, I know there's a number that have already signed up to be a part of the team. Please stop in this meeting. But even if you haven't signed up, would you just stop by the cafe right after service, learn about the opportunities, and get involved in that process? We would really, really appreciate that, all right? Cool. Well, this morning, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited to share. It's been a few weeks since I've got, the, got to preach, but this is something God put on my heart about a month ago for our church. And uh, I genuinely believe God has a word for us today. So will we have open hearts to hear him today, all right? If you got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. Uh, as you turn there, I invite you to stand with me across the room. Uh, if this is your first time, there's nothing sacred about standing. It's our tradition. We do it every single week to say, God, we value your words over my words, all right? Luke chapter 4. It's a little bit of a longer passage, so stick with me. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. 
The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you today. God. And Lord... We can either listen to me talk for a few minutes and walk out the door, or we can open our ears and our hearts to you and listen to what you have to say to us. And so, God, I pray we give you our attention. We give you our focus. God, would you speak to us personally, not just generally through the things I say. By your spirit, would you speak personally to each and every one of us? What we need to hear today, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Now, I mean, you know, there are, uh, there are moments in life when uh, the curtain gets drawn and, uh, and the truth is seen, like the reality is there, like you can't even hide it anymore. There's moments like that. How many of you like to take tests when you were in school? Anybody like to take tests? No, none of you? Oh, shocking. Okay. We don't like taking tests. Why? Because it's a, very, it's a moment where the truth is revealed. You might feel real confident when you walk into that test and right away you're like, oh no, <laughs> I was not ready for this test. I do not know the answers to these questions, right? You ever had that happen? Or maybe you've had that moment in your life when you thought you were in shape and then you went for a run, right? Or like you thought, like you, thought you were still 16 and you're like 35 and you decide to play a pickup basketball game. You know what I'm talking about? Like you pull a hamstring and you're just like heaving, right? You're cramping up. You're like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not in as good a shape as I thought I was, right? Or maybe you've had that moment in your relationships where you thought, you're like, a relationship's fine, my marriage is fine, all that kind of stuff, but then you come up against something challenging, and all of a sudden you realize, whoa, we're not in as good of a place as I thought we were. You have those moments in life. How many remember old school American Idol, the show Old School? I'm talking like early American Idol, like Simon Cowell, American Idol. You remember that? Okay, the young kids don't know what we're talking about. Old school American Idol was awesome. And I loved the show. At the end of the show, it was super great when everybody was really talented and great. Okay, but I love the beginning of the show. You know, the best part of that show is at the beginning. Why? Because you get the people who show up who think they're amazing singers, and they get up and sing. And I would love Simon because he'd be like, you're awful, right? You're awful. And they'd be like, but my mom told me I'm the greatest singer ever. People always tell me, they're like, they lied to you. You are a horrible singer. You should never sing ever again. Please leave, right? It was like there was these revelatory moments where the curtains get pulled back and you're like, this is how it really is, okay? And I think there was a moment in our world a couple of weeks ago that was like this, all right? Now, I want to say something. I am not a reactionary preacher. Uh, some preachers like to allow every sermon to just be a reaction to the topic of the week. You know, every sermon, like, what happened this past week? I'm just going to talk about that. Just know that if that's the kind of preacher you're looking for, you're going to be really disappointed in me because that's just not how I am, right? Well, instead, I'm more focused on consistently laying out a diet of truth for the church, okay? 
When I was younger, I used to get really excited about cool sermon titles and cool sermon series and got to have the coolest message and all these kind of things. And, and, and all that's fine, and I hope that I have good sermons and all this kind of stuff. But what I've come to understand is that your diet is more important than a meal. Like, I could have one great sermon, that's great, but what matters more is your diet. It's your diet that produces health, right? Just like when you're eating, you can have a really bad meal, eat all the pizza you want to one time, but if you have a healthy diet, you're fine. And the same thing is here. My desire as a preacher is to consistently bring us the truth, so I try not to be reactionary. I could spend every Sunday till I die trying to point out the lies and the deceit and the issues in our world and our culture, and I would never exhaust the list. But if I can teach you the truth, then the lies become self-evident. Okay? And so that's my conviction. Just know that. All right? I want to continually point us to the truth. But there was a moment that took place in our culture two weeks ago at the Grammys that I think was a revelatory moment for some people, okay? It was a revelatory moment. Uh, if you watched the Grammys at all, you saw there was a performance that's relatively demonic in nature, relatively satanic in nature, one of those kind of things. And if you on social media, everybody's posting and sharing all this kind of stuff. Just so shocked and unbelievable about what's going on in the culture. I can't believe there would be something like this. And I just want to say, anybody who was shocked by that was oblivious to what has been going on in culture. Okay? They've been doing performances like that at the Grammys for years Right? That might have been the worst one, but it, like, literally they've had demonic type things taking place for years at the Grammys. Nobody should be surprised. You got your head in the sand if you were so overwhelmed by this thing. But what this moment was, was a revelatory moment for some people. It was a pulling the curtains back. It was a seeing things as they actually are kind of moment for some of us. And we need that in our lives. Okay? And so I want to get to our big so what today. And we always say, so what? What's the, I know some of you are like, he's going to be done here in like two minutes. This is going to be great. I'm starting with the big, so what? Settle in folks. Okay. Don't think this sucker's over with yet. I'm just getting revved up. Okay. But we, we're going to start with our big, so what this morning. I saw all of your faces like, oh, he's going to be done. Okay. <laughs> Makes me feel bad. Come on. All right. So but this is critical, okay? This is critical. The big so what this morning is this. We are standing on a spiritual battlefield. Okay? We are standing on a spiritual battlefield. And the moment that we forget that is the moment that the enemy has a chance for some victory in your life. Because we can operate in this place so often where we fixate on the tangible. We live in a world that's that. We are fo focused on the concrete. We are focused on things that we can see, that we can touch. But there is so much more going on in our world. I've told you guys this before, that I think there are two ways that we can respond to the fact that there's a spiritual battle, that, that we can re respond to the, the demonic influences that exist in our world. There's two ways we can respond that are totally wrong. The first way is that we find a demon under every rock. And you know people like that, like, oh, you didn't get a parking spot. Devil's after me today. Like, okay, you just didn't get a parking spot. Get over it, Okay. It's not the end of the world. Okay. Yeah, you can get totally crazy. Like every the devil's all, Okay. But I said the only thing worse than believing there's a, a demon under every rock 
is believing that there's never a demon under the rock. And I think that's the place that too many of us as believers get into. We have no idea, we have no recognition that there is a spiritual battle going on, that there is an enemy of our soul that literally is looking to take us out. It is so easy for us to go through the motions of life and forget what's actually going on. We go to Ephesians chapter six, I quote this regularly, but we have to be reminded of this for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We think it is. Like, you think it's just that annoying boss. You think it's just that, you know, your family's just struggling. All the, it's the politics. It's all the politics. It's all those issues. It's just flesh and blood issues. But it's not. It's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. There is a battle going on. And if we ignore that reality, we are setting ourselves up for failure. All right? We have to recognize that we are standing on a spiritual battlefield in your home. Your home is a spiritual battlefield. Some of you are like, I know. (laughs) But some of you ignore that reality. You think the enemy is your spouse. It isn't. It's the enemy of your soul that looks to steal, kill, and destroy all things that God has anointed. Okay? It's the same thing on your, on your work. You think you're just, your boss is just annoying. It's just my boss. That's the problem. Guess what? That's a spiritual battlefield in your life. Students, when you're walking into school, you need to be aware you are walking into a battlefield. Yeah. And honestly, as, as your parents and older generations that are here even above us, we look at you and we say, dear Jesus, help them. Guard them. Protect them. And I look at my, sorry, son. Like, I think about my kids and what they're having to face. They're not facing flesh and blood issues. They're facing spiritual attacks on a daily basis. They're facing stuff that some of us probably never imagined having to go through, right? And if we ignore that reality, then we're fighting it in the wrong way. Oftentimes, we're trying to fight spiritual things with flesh means. And God's saying, no, there is something bigger going on. There is something bigger going on. We look in our world. A lot of times you guys get all up in arms about politics and I can't believe what's going on in the politics and the government and all these kind of problems. Guess what? It's a spiritual battlefield. It isn't just bad people doing bad things. There is an enemy of our soul that looks to destroy anything that is ordained of God. Anything to bring division, to destroy the principles of the kingdom of God to rip them down. That's there. That is evident. It is a spiritual battlefield. And we have to be awakened to that. We need to be reminded. And if anything else this morning, if you forget everything else, remember, we're standing on a spiritual battleground. When you wake up in the morning, you better be ready. You better be prepared. We're going to look at the text uh, that I read a few moments ago. And just so you know, this was not a reaction to the Grammys. This was on on my heart a month ago for today. Um, but we're going to dig into this text because I think it exposes <clears throat> the realities of this truth. And there's three things that we're going to look at. Uh, if you don't ordinarily take notes, this might be a day you will want to write a few things down. We're going to look at three points this morning. The first is this. Listen to the right voice. Listen to the right voice. See, Jesus is led into the wilderness and is confronted by the devil. 
He's stepping onto a spiritual battlefield. And what is the first thing the devil says to him? If you are the son of God. Why is this a big deal? He's questioning Jesus' identity in this moment. Why is this a big deal? Look a few verses earlier. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. This is what happened. This is the scene right before he comes in and is confronting the devil. What happens? It says in verse 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. See what the devil did right there? He said, okay, am I going to listen to the voice of my heavenly father or am I going to listen to the voice of the enemy? And am I going to listen to the voice that said, you are my son, or am I going to, in insecurity, respond to the question that says, if you're really the son of God? And see, this was something that Jesus faced, but it is absolutely something every single one of us faces on a daily basis, is whose voice are you going to listen to? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Because there is an enemy that wants you to listen to him so he can steal and kill and destroy the work of God in your life. But if we do not give him an ear, he does not have a voice into our lives. You might think, well, the devil doesn't really care that much about me. He doesn't care that much about me. All right, well, Peter had something different to say. First Peter verse five, or chapter 5, verse 8 said this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You think, ah, oh, he doesn't care about me. Yes, he does. He would love to destroy the work of God in your life. He would love to take you off course. He would love to get the, you think, oh, it's no big deal. I'm just kind of getting into some little sin issue. No, no, no. The enemy is looking to take you out with that sin issue, right? Like he's looking to destroy you, okay? And if we're not aware of that, then, then we just totally lose sight of what's actually taking place. And, and the problem is you're like, well, if the devil comes up to me with horns on and a pitchfork, I should probably say no. I got that, Greg. Like I don't need help on that one. You're right. If he showed up like that, I think we'd all be pretty safe, okay? But here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It says this, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. He's not coming with pitchfork and, and He's coming at you in ways to deceive you. I say this all the time. The enemy doesn't come with a lie that looks like this. The enemy comes with a lie that looks like this. Just enough to take you off course. Just enough to get you going the wrong direction. You know? Because you'd say no if it was this thing. But if he says this thing, uh, I can compromise like that. I can go that direction. That's okay. I'll listen to that voice a little bit. And oftentimes the voice doesn't sound like it's coming from the devil. Oftentimes it sounds like the people around us in our lives. <laughs> Might sound like your mother-in-law. Might sound like your boss. Might sound like some other person in your life. It might sound like culture. It might sound like the insecurities that still exist in your mind. We begin to believe the lies of the enemy, and those lies foster a, an action and a reaction that takes us in ways that are totally contrary to what God desires for us, the good he has planned for us. 
And we have to be aware. We have to have ears that are open, prepared, recognizing, recognizing that we are on a spiritual battlefield and we must be ready. It, sometimes we're not just having a bad day. Sometimes you are experiencing attacks of the enemy. And we need to stand firm and listen to the right voice in those moments rather than following the wrong. So I ask the question, what voice are you listening to? What voice are you listening to? What has your attention? Are you seeking to hear the voice of God? Are you accepting of whatever voice comes your way? If we're not intentional about who we're listening to, we're putting ourselves into a dangerous place. And this is a warning, warning. Listen to the right voice. Second thing we see in this story that I think is critical is this. It's this, stand on God's word. Stand on God's word. How did Jesus respond to a spiritual attack? Every time the voice of the devil, every time the t- accusations came, his, his response was to stand on God's word. And I got to say, this is a huge deal. You're like, of course he's going to speak. Okay, no, this is a bigger deal than you would naturally think. Okay, why is that? Well, first off, in our postmodern world, there is a diminishing of the authority of any written word. Forget just the Bible. That's the postmodern mindset, like, right? It doesn't matter what the author intended. It's what you think and what you feel about something. That's what really matters, right? We live in the world about our truth. I got my truth. You got your truth. I say it all the time. You're allowed your own opinion. You're not allowed your own truth, okay? Like we all, like, but, but that's the world we live in, right? And, and so no one comes to scripture with this idea of authority a lot of times. I think, unfortunately, the postmodern mindset had led to a similar diminishing of the authority of scripture. People like to say things like the Bible is a good message or it contains the word of God, but that's not how Jesus treated scripture. He stood on the authority of the word of God over and over and over again. And remember, remember, this is the crazy part. Jesus is the living word of God. You see how this is a big deal here. He is, what did John say? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is the living word of God. Jesus could have stood on his own authority every time the devil came and brought a lie against him. He could have. He didn't need to quote the written word of God. He is the living word of God. He could have stood. He's like, I am the eternal. I am. I am the son of God. I can stand on my own authority. And yet he stood on God's word. That was his weapon on the battlefield. That's what he asked. And I think, I think it was intentional because I think it sets a paradigm. It sets an a, a example, a model for us because I don't know about you, but I can't stand on my own authority. If the devil comes and attacks me, I'm not gonna stand and say, I'm so great, here's my ideas. No, I need some other authority. And I can do what Jesus said. I can stand on the truth of his word. I can put my trust in him. And hear this, you're consistently going to be attacked. The enemy wants to bring destruction. He wants to bring lies. The question is, what are you standing on? Are you standing on your ideas, on your thoughts, on your perspective, on your view? Or are you standing on the truth of what God has said? Are we standing true on, on, on what he has spoken so clearly to us? So the question I want to ask is, how do we stand on God's word? How do we, how do we in, the, in the midst of these moments, how do we stand on it? I think there's a very... Uh, 
great paradigm or just a little plan that Jesus put out here because what happened, right? Lie came, lie came. He takes the lie, God's word, and he takes the lie and brings it under the authority of God's word and said, okay, if it's a lie, we're throwing it out. If it was true, I can keep it there. But everything the enemy brings is a lie. He throws it, throws it, keeps bringing it under the authority of Scripture. It reminds me of what it talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians where it says, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Because a lot of times the, the lies start getting into our minds and we start thinking things that are contrary to God's word. And what does it mean? It says the challenge is would we take captive every thought? When you have a thought and you're like, uh, I don't know if this lines up with God's word, you take that thought captive. Here's that thought. And I'm going to bring it under the authority of Christ and under the authority of God's word. And if that thing is not true, throw it out. Replace it with God's word. What does he say about you? Because a lot of times we're walking around thinking things that are in such conflict with what God says about us. Right? God, I just feel isolated. I feel like nobody cares about me. I feel like an orphan. And God says, no, no, no. You are a son and daughter of the king. I'm going to replace that. It doesn't matter what I feel right now. It doesn't matter what my perspective. I choose to place my trust in what God actually says about this. See, that's what it means to stand on the word of God. And here's the problem is that we don't stand on God's word because too often we don't know God's word. We know everything else. Man, I can tell you all the stats of my favorite team or my favorite players. Some of you are like, you're big into celebrities. You know all the gossip about all the things and the stuff and the Kardashians and whatever. You got all this stuff. Or you know the politicians, right? You got the politicians. You know all their perspectives and all these things. You can tell me all those things. But do we actually know God's word? Do we know what he says? Do we pursue the knowledge of God's word? Do we build it into our lives? Is that something that we do? And it's a reason that we have our reading plan that we make available. It's not because it's like a cute thing that we'll do a yearly reading plan. No, is we want to give you an opportunity to step into something consistently. If you haven't jumped in already, do it. You can go to our website, go to our app and just click the reading plan. But are we building God's word into our life? Because if we don't know it, we can't stand on it. And we're hung out to dry at that moment. Because if you're faced with the lies and you don't know the truth, the lies begin to sound like the truth. Okay? Listen to the right voice. Stand on God's word. And lastly, pursue a spirit-filled life. Pursue a spirit-filled life. See, the good news of the gospel is that we do not stand on a battlefield under our own strength. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We don't have to operate in fear and anxiety and oh no, there's, the demons are gonna get me. No, you are a child of God. You are a victor in Christ and you do not need to stand under your own strength. But there's something we need to recognize here. When Jesus was about to step onto the battlefield, what does it say? Verse number one, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't have time to talk about this and the theology and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to get into all that stuff. And some of you would say, well, well, Greg, doesn't every believer have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Spirit indwells every single believer. That's what Scripture teaches. But it also talks about this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Not just this one time back then, but this being filled. In fact, when it says be filled with the Holy Spirit, the phrase be filled means to be filled and continue being filled, right? 
Just like when we submit to Christ, how many know you submit to Christ back here, but daily we need to submit to Christ? In the same way, we say, God, fill me and continue to fill me. Would you fill me? And here's the problem most of us face is that rather than constantly pursuing and putting ourselves in a position of dependence and receiving and saying, God, we desperately need your spirit, we walk around filled up with everything else. We're filled up with so many other things, pursuing everything else, getting opinions and ideas from everybody else, being filled up by every other relationship and what those, and rather than sitting on our knees and saying, God, I desperately need you. Like I'm not enough on my own. I'm stepping into this battlefield wherever it is. It's in your home. It's at your work. It's something that you're going on in your life and you're just like, God, I don't have enough. And I desperately need your Holy Spirit. I desperately need you. Would you fill me? Would you fill me anew? Would you give me the things that I need? God, would you give me the wisdom? Would you give me the discernment? God, I desperately need you. It's the posture he's calling us to. Not a holy dependence on me. Holy dependence on him completely. God, I need you. I need your power. I need your authority, God. I need your strength. I need to be filled. See, the good news of the gospel is in Luke chapter 11. If we want it, if we want God to fill us, here's what Jesus said. He said, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, he's looking to pour his spirit out on you. Like, that's what he wants. The problem is we're usually not in a posture to desire his spirit. Like, I'm good. I got this. Take care of this in the flesh. Got the strength I need. I'm a smart guy. Like, I'm a smart woman. I know how to do things. He's saying, you know what? I want to respond to people who have a desperation. See, we're seeing right now, you know, I'm sure some of you have seen on on social media stuff going on in Asbury University and and I haven't been there, so I can't give a, I'm not going to tell you anything. I don't, I don't know exactly, but what I do see is a desperation for God's presence. A desperation, a posture. Here's what I would say, though. God's presence and his, the movement of his spirit is not confined to a building or a location. His desire is to fill anyone who has a holy desperation for his presence. If you want to experience what's going on at Asbury... Lock yourself into a room and start seeking the face of God like never before. Put yourself in a place to pursue him, to desire him. And I'm just going to say this. I love, I love when God does moments like this. I, I love what's happening there. You know, I love that God's moving in a powerful way. But I guarantee you there are Christian believers all over this country that have spent more time reading articles and looking at videos and pictures than they've spent pursuing the face of God on their own. And if we want to experience a move of God, hear this. God responds to desperation, not fascination. We got to be those who pursue him. God, God, we need you. And I'll tell you this. When life is good, oftentimes we're not desperate. Be honest. Like when your life is good, you're like, I'm good. I'll, you know, I'll come to God when I need him. But when, you, when all hell breaks loose in your life, you know what I'm talking about? When stuff gets bad, suddenly you find yourself on your knees. God, I desperately need you. I had some moments this past year. 
In the moments of desperation in response to challenges was only a reminder and an indicator that, Greg, you've gotten off a little bit because your desperation is only like that when it gets bad. And I think what God is calling us to is a holy desperation that is not contingent on the circumstances, but contingent on our need. And when we understand our desperate need of the power of God, a desperate need of his Holy Spirit in every moment, whatever you're facing, whatever it is, and even it's the things he's calling you to that you aren't even being responsive to because you don't have a sensitivity to his spirit because you're not putting yourself in a posture to hear from him. It's those things that we say, God, we need you. We desperately, desperately need you. And so this morning, I want to give us an opportunity to respond to him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me across the room. Here's what I know is that we follow Jesus, and it's possible, um, maybe some of you, 30, 40 years, like, hey, Greg, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit years ago. When's the last time you just asked him to fill you again? was the last time I said, Holy Spirit, fill me. Guess what I did again this morning? I got to get up here and preach every single week. And every Sunday morning, I'm reminded of my desperate deed of his Holy Spirit. Because I can do my best to try and tickle your ears with nice messages. But at the end of the day, none of that actually does anything of value. I need the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And this morning, I'm not asking for anything hyper-emotional or any of those things. What I'm asking for this morning is if you are in a place where you say, God... I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit again. Maybe you're facing something hard, or maybe you're just genuine in a place where you say, God, today, I want to be filled with your Spirit like never before. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith out of your seat and just simply come to these altars and say, God, that's me. Fill me today. I need your Spirit like never before. I'm going to invite you to come right now. If you want to step out of your seats and say, that's me. Can we just respond to him right now? make an altar. Just come forward. Say, God, I need you. I need your spirit like never before. Fill me up, Lord Jesus. God, would you fill me with your presence? God, I need you. Come flood these places and feel the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long to be
Thank you, God. God, may this be a pivoting in our hearts, in our behavior, to pursue you, to pursue a spirit-filled life, to have a desperation for you. Help us to walk out of this place with a different focus, a different attitude. When we step out of the doors Monday morning, God, I pray we would walk with a different step, Lord, as we walk under the power of your spirit in a new way, God, seeing that you want to move through us, Lord. 
in a world that desperately needs your hope. God, pray that. Pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. And the team's going to linger here just for another moment here. Um, but I want to give a challenge to you because here's what I know. Is that uh, you are, you are, your life is determined by the habits, not just by what you hope happens. And you can say you want to have a desperation for God's presence, but if you don't have a habit of pursuing his presence, it's never going to happen. Okay? So here's my challenge. If you can put the challenge up on the screen, it's this. Start a preparation habit tomorrow morning. Prepare yourself spiritually for your day. I don't know what that means. Maybe that means you are going to get in the word first thing tomorrow morning. Maybe that means you're going to get on your knees for a moment tomorrow morning. But what is your habit going to be to posture yourself in a place to say, God, I need your spirit. Amen. Can we do that? God, I pray that you would help us to step into that this week. Step into the practical beyond just a moment. God, help us to live in this light of this truth today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.